Supply Chain Insider as we launch our second season of insights, information, and interviews with industry experts from throughout the whole supply chain. I'm your host, Dave Blanchard, Chief Editor of Material Handling and Logistics, as well as the author of Supply Chain Management Best Practices. In today's podcast, we'll be talking with Maria Ray Marston, Global Supply Chain Innovation Lead with Accenture, on the topic of supply chain resilience. One of the keys to anticipating and avoiding supply chain disruptions is intelligent visibility. And you'll learn how companies are now able to see exactly what's occurring across their extended supply chain. So if that is our theme, let's get started. We're honored today to be talking with Dr. Maria Ray Marston, Global Supply Chain Innovation Lead with Accenture. Our topic today will be focusing on supply chain resilience. But before we get to that discussion, Maria, if you could just let our audience know a little bit about your background, that would be great. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience here today. Uh, My name, as you said, Maria Ray Marston. Uh, with Accenture, um, I lead our supply chain innovation practice globally, which uh, puts us at the forefront of um, how to drive the next generation supply chain powered by data and analytics and technology, and uh, really how to find ways to transform and get supply chains ready uh, across different industries and different parts of the world to respond to the challenges that we know today in terms of um, disruptions and uh, changing consumer preferences and behaviors and fundamentally the need to respond faster and anticipate some of the the challenges that supply chains need to respond to. What we're going to talk about today is a topic that is probably top of mind for every supply chain professional as well as anybody who goes into a store or tries to buy any product. So basically everybody. And that's the the supply chain disruptions have just kind of dominated the conversation in in the past couple of years. But another conversation that that has become probably just as prevalent, at least in supply chain circles, has been the the topic of supply chain resilience. And I'm going to ask you, since you you put together a, a really awesome report on supply chain resilience, just just to, to set the stage, what exactly, when you talk about supply chain resilience, what does that look like? What should, what should a company be focusing on? Um, first of all, these documents that we, we published are the efforts of um, a, a lot of people, but also the efforts of some of our clients. Uh, the report that we put out on resiliency and building resiliency through visibility actually the result of, um, of a survey and some research work we did with over 1,300 companies across the globe trying to understand what is the greatest source of disruption they face in their supply chains, but also how have they been able to build some resiliency to be able to cope with some of those disruptions. We also did a, a, about 30 in-depth interviews with companies from different industries, just trying to understand some of the the strategic response to that, to building that resilience. And when we talk about resiliency, we we fundamentally describe as a core capability for a supply chain organization to be able to 
get a notice or to monitor disruptions in their operations to be able to respond to some of those disruptions and to be able to recover quickly in their ability to operate after the disruption has been identified or the impact has been felt. So the, the conversation goes beyond response. It includes the ability to anticipate and monitor those disruptions and obviously goes into the recovery side uh, to get back to normal operations or today for some leading companies into enhanced operations, even after responding to a disruption. One thing that I think makes this this current environment a little bit different from previous years is the, the nature of supply chain disruptions, of course, varies year to year, company by company, area by area, whether it's earthquakes or you know a really bad recession in a, in a particular area of the country or some kind of a political upheaval or various different types of disruptions can, can occur. Uh, this time we're seeing a global disruption from the pandemic, which is kind of seems to have reverberated through every corner of the world in, in, in some sense. So I, I guess the question is, is this is, is pandemic level disruption something that a, that a company can can ever really anticipate or and if they can, how do they do that? You know, Dave, it's such a good question because I think the current level of disruption that we see in global supply chains is the aggregation of different types of disruptions that we have seen before, but that in modern times we have not seen simultaneously affecting supply chains. And let me give you an example. We have seen transportation and logistics disruptions before. We have seen because of weather disruptions in port operations or airports. We have seen disruptions from labor um, interruption in some ports. We had we had seen that disruption. We had also seen disruption in the demand side when we have a market that may uh, have a tremendous impact in the ability to buy a product. We've seen market disruptions also from uh, you know, uh, events like earthquakes or war, where you have tremendous disruption in the demand side. And we've also seen disruption in the supply side. If you look, remember the floods in Thailand and how much disruption we had in the automotive supply chain because of the loss of a, of a lot of the tier one suppliers that were critical for the production of the automotive sector. So we've had this individual types of disruptions. What happened, in our opinion, during the pandemic is that we had a simultaneous disruption in demand, in supply, and in logistics and distribution and transportation. Because of the pandemic, we had this breaking down of the global distribution networks. We had a demand disruption by people being at home, by people not going out, uh, buying different products, changing their preference for products and categories. And we have tremendous disruption in capacity by not having transportation, not having labor, and having basically plans that were at zero ability to respond. So all of these disruptions combined gave us kind of this 
great disruption and in a global scale, also coming back from a couple of decades of offshoring and more globalized supply networks where we had pandemics of humanity before, but those pandemics were in not in conditions of global supply networks. So this is something that probably uh, anticipation is not realistic, but that now that we've seen it, probably the simulations that we're doing today is what happens to a company when three of the three sources of disruption are present in supply capacity and distribution versus what are the implications where only one of the three or two of the three sources of disruption happened. So I think we learned our lesson. Certainly many companies and many industries in the world have learned this lesson. And that's why one of the key pieces in our, in our paper is the importance of visibility and that in, intelligent visibility to be able to anticipate and see some of the signals of disruption either in demand, which is easily spotted today when you look at demand signals and you have a good sensing capability, to see disruptions in supply, which again, if you have the right visibility of what's happening in your, in your upstream supplier networks and supplier suppliers networks, you can see that as well. And to see this option in, in distribution and logistics networks with whatever kind of geofence you want to put about that, that network, whether it's a local or a regional or a global distribution network. So I think we definitely are becoming much better prepared to anticipate and prepare for a very systemic, system-wide supply chain disruption. You focused just, just then on um, what, what do you call intelligent visibility, which uses technology such as artificial intelligence and predictive analytics and uh, similar technologies, machine learning probably, and, and other things like that. Uh, I've covered artificial intelligence off and on since probably the late 1980s, so it goes back a ways. And the technology's promise, you know, the promise of AI has always been, you know, huge that uh, it, it can just make decisions, make better decisions, make them faster, make them uh, more available to more people. But I'm wondering if intelligent visibility and I'm, I, I guess the jury probably is still out on it because it's, it's kind of a, a new concept. Uh, within supply chain circles, but if if intelligent visibility is is really going to be kind of recreating what's possible with with anticipating and preparing for disruptions, how much of that is dependent on the technology, and how much of it's dependent on the people and the processes that have to be in place to make sure that that technology does what it's supposed to do. You know, it's it's interesting you made the reference of about talking uh, on artificial intelligence in the 80s. Uh, we all know the concepts of artificial intelligence go back all the way to the 50s. Right. And uh, conceptually, we understood the concept of algorithms and we understood the concept of training algorithms to uh, predict the next best course of action. What we didn't have in the 50s and we didn't have in the 80s 
and we actually we didn't have in the 90s or the first decade of, of this century is the availability of data to be able to feed and train the algorithms to do this at scale. So fundamentally speaking, yes, AI goes back a long way. The reason it's so prevalent now is because between cloud computing, IoT, the prevalence of sensors, the prevalence of people using mobile phones and smartphones, where you capture data in large volumes in a very granular way, now we can feed those algorithms to basically assist us as humans and decision makers on what is the best course of action. So when we talk about intelligent visibility, I, I think to me the best example is the way we used to drive. We used to drive with visibility on the road because we could see the road ahead and we could see if we had a traffic jam or we had a block road, but our visibility was as far as whatever information was on the radio or whatever information we could visually take from what was in front of the road ahead. Today, when we put on an intelligent GPS or sat-nav navigator, whether you love Google Maps or you love Waze or whatever of the navigators you have, that is intelligent visibility because it's looking at things that you physically cannot see. It's actually predicting what is your ETA of arrival is predicting and calculating what is a better route for you to go to your destination faster. So when I talk about intelligent visibility, we're talking about a combination still of a human driver that has a certain process to drive from point A to point B, but is assisted by tremendous amounts of data and intelligence that says, Maria, turn right, Maria, turn left, Maria, we found a better route for you. Please take this extra exit. And still as a driver, I have the autonomy to accept the recommendation based on my visual cues and other information that may be interesting that the system cannot comprehend. But definitely the technology and the data are making us hopefully better drivers. But I still need to have the right processes and the right teams to take advantage of that data scale and that ability to have cognitive analytics, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence guiding my next actions. So I think we're seeing that in a lot of supply chain processes where if I'm not talking about driving from point A to point B, and I'm talking about planning for my inventory levels or determining replenishment points with a supplier, or determining the frequency of shipping uh, to serve some of my customers, or the frequency of inbound uh, receiving. All of those decisions today are similar to the decisions of us driving from point A to point B, where in the supply chain space, in order to get a better resiliency in the networks to be able to respond to disruption is like the ability for us to foresee as drivers a an accident that is happening 10 miles ahead. That's where we need the technology to bring that intelligent visibility that ultimately translates into that resiliency as defined before as the ability to respond and to recover from any specific disruption.
So I will say pretty much is great people. We call it human plus machine with good data and good technology powered by, you know, the, the, the technology, the algorithms that makes us smarter in the way we execute some of these processes to a point probably thinking into the future where some of those processes may be eventually eliminated. And some processes today are a function of a lot of human interactions. But as you see technology intervening and streamlining some of those human interactions, they are, for example, in the case of planning, where we see that as a greater example today, some processes that may be disappearing from some of the most traditional supply chain organizations. What I'm kind of curious to know about, and based on your your research, which which you uh, discussed a little bit earlier with the, the various companies that you talked to, one thing that kind of jumped out at me in, in reading some of the the results, the hurdles that these companies are, are still trying to get past is it seems like even the, the, the best and brightest among us, the, the supply chain companies that are, are farthest along in, in, in having that, that dynamic visibility that you described in your report, it, it seems to not go very far, maybe just to the, the, their tier one suppliers, partly, I guess, because for, for smaller companies, the, the small to mid-sized companies getting to the level of, of being able to have visibility into their own processes and then being able to share that with you know their, their major customers and their suppliers seems to, to be that we're not, we're not at that point yet where we, we can really talk about having end-to-end full dynamic visibility throughout our supply chain. You know, what, what, what are companies doing to get better at that? How do they get more drilled down visibility throughout their entire supply chains? You know, I, I really appreciate the question because it, it kind of gets us into the concept of a network versus mm-hmm. a linear chain. And part of that lack of visibility, and uh, we can talk about the difference between structural and dynamic visibility in a second, but if we talk about visibility in the in the mindset of a linear supply chain, most companies were good enough knowing what was happening in the node that was immediately before them and the node that was immediately after their own position. Because if you look at this as a, as a linear chain, that's when we talked about what's happening with my supplier and if I'm the supplier to my customers, what is happening next in my next link called my customers? But if you look at this concept of, of supply and global supply, not as a linear chain, but as a network, then your concern is not only the next node before or after you, but is the whole structure of the interdependencies between all players in that particular value network. Correct. So, right. so when we look at visibility, we started having this conversations on structural visibility, which I will say 100% of the companies we work with and that I'm familiar with have already structural visibility. And you see these maps of networks that show 
who are my tier one suppliers, my tier two, tier three, my aggregators, my distributors, my wholesalers, my customers. And you see these complex networks that are already descriptive of the structure of your of your supply network. So we have that and we have maybe some static information on the capacity of each one of these nodes. So I know that maybe my supplier has this type of capacity and I know the my supplier supplier may have this type of capacity. Now the challenge and I think is really something about a time horizon. The challenge we have right now, or the big opportunity, because we, we really need to put this in, in positive terms for all the progress that has been made, is that as we start putting sensors, a real-time visibility, visual analytics, the use of video to do analytics and process video uh, as unstructured data to do analytics, the more we use some modern technologies to put eyes, whether it's sensors or real cameras or integrated systems and tools to put eyes on different members of our network, then we're achieving this kind of dynamic visibility. When I know in real time, not in a static way, what's really happening when and where. And it's going to take us some time, and I know we we all know the technology that makes this possible. We all know the, the business cases that can be built to justify this investment. But, you know, this takes some time uh, to drive change management, to look after cybersecurity concerns, to look at great uh, uh, data privacy concerns, to look at how integrated you want your your network to be with other companies, privacy, competition, uh, even antitrust law. And so we, we're still building in different ways, if you will, those elements that are required to drive dynamic visibility. I don't think it's because of affordability, because I tell you affordability of technology is something that continues to be improved and solved for it, if you look at prices for sensors in manufacturing, uh, prices for uh, computing capacity, uh, prices for storage, prices for analytics, I don't think it's a matter of affordability. I don't think it's even a matter of awareness because I think across multiple networks, you see different levels of, of knowledge, and but I think the awareness is high. I think these visibility gaps can be explained by just the natural progression and dispersion of a new technology, but more importantly, uh, new ways of working with your business partners. And that's going to take some time from a change management perspective, um, also from different ways of working, some legal hurdles some securities in the privacy of the data and uh, some other provisions, but we are tremendously uh, hopeful and optimistic that we are going to achieve dynamic visibility in certain industries faster than we think. And this is gonna be an acceleration or an acceleration that we see today, for example, in commodities that tend to be global by nature, 
where we see some of the key agricultural commodities, both the producers, the wholesalers and distributors and the buyers engaged in fascinating global conversations around visibility on cocoa beans and the cocoa bean trade, visibility on vanilla pots, visibility on coffee beans. And those are global dynamic visibility, uh, let's say, pilots and projects that are in play today that make us very optimistic about what's going to happen with dynamic visibility and hence with supply chain resiliency for some of these global networks that will allow us to provide better service for customers and consumers in those particular products. Uh, fascinating uh, that that example you gave about the, the cocoa beans, um, that, that's, that really kind of helps illuminate what is potential and what is po- what's possible with, with some of these new technologies. I guess I've got two more questions. The first one is, you know, the AI and and predictive analytics and computers and all, all the technologies, the, the cloud computing and the, the sensors. And we've been talking about a lot of these sorts of technology capabilities for, for a, a good long time. At least this entire century, we've kind of been focusing on how to, how to get to full supply chain end to end visibility you know that that's been a the holy grail of supply chain for at least 20 years if not longer than that is is there any anecdotal evidence that companies are actually getting better at that you know i, I will i will give you something better than anecdotes i think there is a firm data that shows if you look in terms of financial performance of companies if you look in terms of customer service and the ability to deliver on customer experience, if you look at the rankings of companies that are ranked by their supply chain capabilities, rankings by financial performance, rankings by um, most relevant companies in the industry, there is a very strong correlation on their ability to see what's happening in their network and to be able to respond. Now, that doesn't mean these companies are perfect. Right. I, I think perfection, it, it could be an aspiration, but it's unfeasible. I think it's the quest of being better than I was last year or being better than my competitor or doing something better for my customer. So I think it's that focus on that improvement and that improvement over the status quo of an industry by doing something different, faster or better, that I think it makes these companies um, superior in terms of performance. And you will find, you know, organizations and actually full industries that are ahead of other industries when you think about the benefits of visibility and resiliency. Let me give you a very precise example in the automotive sector. The automotive sector, because of the network interdependencies with tier three, two, and one suppliers and between uh, assembly lines and dealerships and factories, they've been investing in visibility, both structural and dynamic for many years. And today in the automotive global supply chain, you have practices of capacity sharing between competitors and companies. You have um, strategies 
of um, providing heads up and information on disruptions with global technology partners that see the industry on a global basis. So everybody has the same information because everybody typically has the same type of suppliers. Even though you may be manufacturing a different model or a different brand, the suppliers are not exclusive of a product or a brand. Suppliers are shared across the automotive supply network. So you see a, a good performance. Obviously, it's not perfect because if you don't have microchips, because you have a tremendous disruption on microprocessors for the electronics in your vehicles, obviously, there's nothing really you could do from a visibility perspective except seeing that it's coming, trying to prepare for it. And if you can't prepare, kind of build the capability to respond and to bounce back for that disruption as we see it happening in space in the automotive sector. And that's where you, you see in a, in a very specific, less anecdotal example of business performance driven by the ability to have better supply, more resilient supply chains, powers through visibility, information, and data. I guess the one last question I'd, I'd want to ask on behalf of, of, of the audience out there is where, what, what should, if you know, you're, if you're giving advice to a company that's just kind of trying to make sure that they are, are staying current on anticipating and preparing for any future disruptions, what would be the, the first thing they should do? If, if, you know, if, if, if they're just kind of battered around, still wondering how, how we're going to recover from the, the current disruptions, what should they do to make sure that they're in a better shape for the next one? Uh, good. And uh, I would like to, to also put in the minds of our, of our listeners and, and to you and, and our colleagues, uh, three things that will be good to remember for us. Number one, disruption is not going to end uh, because of climate change yeah, good point. and some other disruptions. It's not like the pandemic was the end. Um, we have different industries that are being disrupted by lack of water, uh, labor displacement. Um, so climate change will be a major source of disruption. So let's not imagine that disruption is over. We have to be a little bit as Andy Grove, the former CEO of Intel, said, only the paranoid survive. So we, we have to be healthy paranoid that we are going to be responding to disruptions more and more. That's message number one. Message number two is the more you can strengthen your networks, your supply chain networks, and build that resiliency and continuously uh, know what is your degree of resiliency. We, we have um, a, a practice or, a, or, a, or an offering, we call it the stress test, where before the disruption comes, we're able to provide a stress test that will tell you how resilient your supply chain is. So this is like in your personal health. Look at the stress test of your supply chain health and see how strong or what are the points of vulnerability in your supply chain network. That's point number two. And point number three is that visibility is a no regrets move. Visibility is a, it's an investment that has the best business case. 
for building resiliency. Some companies I know they're doing redundancy plays and investment in additional capacity, and that comes at a cost. And obviously, you may have some capacity utilization challenges and asset utilization challenges. When you look at visibility as your first and priority step, both structural and dynamic, that is a no-regret move because it helps you not only to operate under conditions of disruption, but it will help you in your day-to-day operations with good data, good analytics, and good ability to to leverage that investment for your day-to-day business strategies, as well as the more under-stressed operations. So that will be my my three messages um, as we wrap up some of this conversation and hopefully they will resonate with our with our audience today. Hopefully so. Again, Maria, thank you so much for joining us today on Supply Chain Insider and, and for sharing some of your insights into supply chain resiliency. We will uh, include a link to the Accenture report on our website so people can, can drill down even deeper into some of the research and conclusions that you and your team came up with. So again, thank you so much. Well, thank you and look forward to keeping the conversation going. And uh, as well, any questions or comments will be welcome on this document or some of the conversation today. So thank you again. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Supply Chain Insider. Our thanks again to Maria Ray Marston. And please note that we've posted a link to the Accenture report on supply chain resilience at the Material Handling and Logistics website. Just go to mhlnews.com and search for Supply Chain Insider, Episode 5. Thanks for joining us. For Supply Chain Insider, I'm Dave Blanchard. See you next time.